0: You are listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast, episode 15. We are getting ready for a big trip to go to London. My parents recently moved there a couple of months ago, and we've been looking for a stroller that we can take with us, but that can also get up and down the subway. And we have found the GB Pocket. This stroller is incredible, you guys. It folds down to about the size of a purse and is heavy-duty enough to carry our 3-year-old. And I think even our 6-year-old will be using it while we're there. But we're really excited to be using this awesome stroller. Be sure to check out our review at GoAdventureMom.com. Welcome to the Go Adventure Mom podcast, where having kids only adds to the adventure. Get outdoors, see the world, live a full life.
1: Go Adventure Mom, for families who refuse to be indoorsy people.
0: Now, let's go adventure with Kathy Dalton. Hello, this is Kathy Dalton. Today, we are talking with Ellen Prager, a marine scientist and author that is widely recognized for her expertise and ability to make science entertaining and understandable for people of all ages. You can find the show notes at goadventuremom.com forward slash podcast. Welcome Ellen Prager to the Go Adventure Mom podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much. I am very happy to be here.
0: We are really thrilled about what you will be teaching us today. And we want to let our listeners know that you are on social media and that Twitter and Facebook are really good ways to connect with you. Ellen is at E-L Prager, P-R-A-G-E-R. And in our show notes, we'll include those links as well as links to your books and to your site. Before we, we start talking about marine science... Will you share your favorite place that you like to go adventure? Well, I'm probably pretty biased, but I would say it has to be anywhere that's
1: in, on, or under the ocean. (laughs) I love that. It could be swimming in the ocean, it could be scuba diving, it could be kayaking, it could be out on a boat. I think I just love exploring the ocean and seeing marine life and experience all the mysteries that are out there. And one of the things is a science that I think I'm either endlessly curious or easily amused by nature. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I love being out in nature. And so that's where a lot of the, my best adventures happen. And, and in particular, one of my favorite places, which I know we're going to talk a little bit more about, is the Galapagos Islands.
0: Well, let's talk about the Galapagos Islands. You just got back from a trip there. Can you tell us about what you were doing?
1: Sure. So, I have probably one of the best jobs in the world. I am the science and program advisor for now three small expedition ships in the Galapagos Islands run by Celebrity Cruises. And so, my job, a couple times a year, is to go to the Galapagos and work with the officers and the naturalists and the cruise director and Make sure that the programs on board those ships are the very best they can be so that the, our guests, people who are going on cruises there, have the very best experience they can. And they learn about the animals in the Galapagos. They get to go snorkeling and hiking. And, I, you know, I love the Galapagos and seeing the Galapagos. But another thing that is really rewarding for me is seeing people see it for the first time and just be amazed by by the islands and the animals that are there
0: and tell us a little bit about why the galapagos are so unique
1: so there's two things i think that are really special about the galapagos and one is the unique mix of animals and my favorite example of this is so you'll be snorkeling and you'll have warm water animals like sharks and sea turtles and tropical fish swimming around you and then the next thing you know a penguin swims by (laughs) So you're sort of like, wait a minute, The penguin's supposed to be in cold water. But because of the location of the Galapagos, it sits in the place where you have the confluence of about three major ocean currents. And some of those currents come up from the Antarctic and bring cold water water organs. Some come down along the coast of actually North America and bring animals from, say, places like California. And some come from Panama. And so you have this really unusual mix of animals, not only in the ocean, but on the land. And because of the remote, remote nature of the islands, many of those animals, when they arrive there, they find very little competition, but a lot of food, and they end up staying there, breeding and reproducing and adapting to those conditions so that you have unique species, things that you don't find anywhere else in the world, like flightless cormorants, marine iguanas, uh, all sorts of really amazing animals. The other part about the Galapagos that I think is really special is that because they're so well protected and they're very well protected in how you get to go on the islands and see the islands, the animals are completely unafraid of humans. And so they will do their natural behaviors literally right next to the trails. Sometimes we have problems because the sea lions are sleeping in the trails or The birds have built, and the blue-footed booby has built a nest and has a chick right in the trail, and so you have to go around them. But it's this very up-close and personal experience to see nature and see wildlife in a way I'm not sure you can do anywhere else.
0: And it's it's quite a journey to get there. I mean, even though it sounds like it is becoming a little bit more of a, a tourist spot or a conservation trips that they take. Do you fly into Ecuador and then do you take a boat or tell us about that?
1: So what it works is you f- typically fly from either Quito or Guayaquil in Ecuador out to the Galapagos. There's a small island called Bancha that is essentially just an airport. And you fly there and then you can either go to um, one of the islands and stay on the islands. There's only a few places where you can do that. Or which I think is the best way to, to visit the Galapagos is to join a ship that is based in the Galapagos and then travel around the different islands for say a week.
0: Oh wow, yeah.
1: Yeah, so nobody really goes from Ecuador to the Galapagos on a on a ship just because it's like six hundred miles.
0: I was I mean I, I was looking at a map. I wasn't sure how I mean it looks far. It is
1: it is far, it is far. And so basically almost everybody who goes to the Galapagos, you fly into the Galapagos. And you know, use your time as efficiently as possible to see as much as you can, and then
0: fly out. Oh, that sounds incredible! And I love that you're part of creating that programming and and helping to preserve and conserve. As as you're doing that, you know, don't go pet the blue-footed boobies. And <laughs> tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the Galapagos National Park has very strict rules, and sometimes our our guests are kind of. You know, they get frustrated by those rules, but the fact is that's what's protecting animals and that's what's allowing you to have such a good experience. So you have to stay at least, or try to stay, I should say, sometimes the animals don't let you do this, but you have to try and be eight feet away from the animals at all time. On every island, you can't have more than 16 people in a group and you have to have a licensed naturalist and you have to stay in the trails. And so outside of the trails, a lot of the islands are literally pristine They've never been walked on. Um, they've never had any human influence other than things like invasive species or climate change that it, it is a little bit different. But direct human impacts are—they're very free of that. So um, it's really—it's really spectacular. And the rules of the park are enforced by the naturalists. If they see somebody out there who doesn't have a naturalist with them or doing something they—they're not supposed to. Part of their job is to report that. And so it's enforced really well. It's a great system.
0: Well, it sounds, I mean, really incredible. I mean, that's always been one on my like bucket list of, you know, not very realistic
1: (laughs) dreams. Oh no, I think, I think it is on people's bucket list and I think it's becoming more and more accessible, but in a controlled way, you know, they have a cap on the number of, of people who can visit every year and they, they keep it that way and they manage the tourism very well. So, It is, it's very possible. I I think, you know, we see, we actually see school groups coming down there now. So there's lots of ways to do it. And I highly recommend it for anybody interested in nature and wildlife, because I almost like to say, you get to see what the world could would be like if A, maybe humans hadn't overrun it. And if we could do better at living, sort of coexisting with nature in a better way
0: yeah it's kind of that, that glimpse of you know i mean really another world right it's a, it is another world, and you know the
1: animals there are are very abundant, and as I said, you can get very close to them I mean sometimes you know, but the problem is you have to get far you try and get farther away and i mean i the sea lions will swim sometimes will swim with you and play with you I've been snorkeling with a hundred sea turtles around me, and you know our big, big biggest problem was they kept bumping into us and we were trying to stay away from them. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> oh, that sounds incredible. So tell us about your journey and how you chose the path of marine science.
1: So as a kid, I loved nature. I grew up outside of Boston and there were a lot of where I, at the time where I grew up, there were a lot of woods and I used, you know, I was the, the kid out running around in the woods, climbing trees, jumping creeks, playing in fields. And I also always loved the water and during the summers I spent, tons of time in the water and I went on some vacations with my parents and I watched Jacques Cousteau, always loved the ocean. And then in high school, I was teaching swimming lessons and as a lifeguard and the guys I work with brought scuba tanks to the pool. And they said, do you want to try these? I said, sure. So I put a scuba tank on, jumped into the pool and they couldn't get me out. I just sat on the bottom and thought, this is the coolest thing ever. I'm just going to sit here. And, of course, went back to my parents. So again, I was in high school. I said, I want to learn a scuba diver. And they said, oh, you have a job and a car. Go for it. And they thought it was just a phase that I was going through. But when I then discovered something where I can combine my love of nature, I was always really interested in science and scuba diving. Let's just say that was it for me. I was hooked. That's and great. so. Yeah, and so I, in in college, I took a semester away from Wesleyan University where I did my undergraduate degree and studied tropical marine science at a lab and just fell in love with it, studying coral reefs and seagrass beds and how waves interact with, with reefs and sand, and so that just really focused me on my career.
0: And a little bit earlier before we were doing the official recording, we were chatting a little bit about how you, you were on a call earlier with some students and just kind of amazed at how this career decision has really just been so incredible. And I think you were, you were saying like you'd kind of expected to be a researcher and do some teaching, but it's, been such a great time to come into marine science for for women but also for all the innovations that are happening and this ability to take a lot of the things that you love and, and communicate those sciences to different audiences through speaking and through different programming and and you've written some books so tell us a little bit about how that has opened up the door to what you do now
1: also, what I was saying, I was I was skyping actually with a classroom of students, and I was telling them about you never know where your career path is going to go. You can have sort of expectations when you go in, but they can change along the way, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. And for me, you know, I've had some really wonderful jobs in research and teaching. I taught, taught taught oceanography at Sea Education Woods Hole on tall sailing ships. I was the director of a marine lab in the Bahamas. I was the chief scientist for the world's only undersea research station. And I actually lived underwater twice for a couple weeks to study coral reefs. But what I discovered was along the way was that I love bringing the ocean and marine science to much broader audiences than just pure scientists or, or my colleagues in science. And so I started writing, I actually started writing children's book early on, and then I was asked to edit a popular, popular science book. Uh, and that one was actually on earthquakes, volcanoes, and tsunamis. But that sort of opened up this whole area for me that I hadn't really thought of doing in my career, which was was working in translating science for broader audiences and making it not only interesting and fun, but understandable and relevant to them. And so I've started writing books. I do a lot of public speaking. I had a contract with NBC News for a little while as their ocean expert. So it's it's been really terrific, but again, not something I ever expected.
0: I love that. I, I love how our love for nature kind of, you know, can take us in all these different directions. But here we are talking together because we have a shared love for the outdoors and for right. for our world. And, and you know, even though we're in different places in the world, we both are very passionate about sharing our love for nature and for conservation and for education. And um, it, it just makes me really happy to, to connect with you <laughs> and to learn from you. Tell us about your books. I'd love to learn more.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, it is. You're exactly right. It's about sharing our passion and love for the natural world. And with that, I found different ways of doing it with regard to books. So one of my favorite titles, I wrote a, a popular science book that was about the diversity of life in the sea. But I didn't want to call it that. That's kind, you know, Let's just say that's kind of boring. And I found some really interesting themes while I was doing the research for the book. So the book is called Sex, Drugs, and Sea Slime, The Ocean's Oddest Creatures and Why They Matter. And that's sort of a... High school and above, popular science, look at wacky creatures in the ocean and why we should care about them. So that's one. Uh, so I've done a couple of popular science books, but I also have written young children's illustrated books. And then a couple of years ago, people started asking me for book, if I had done anything for middle graders, say, 8 to 12 years old. And I hadn't. So, of course, I had to do my homework to figure out what they like to read. And of course, they like fiction series like Harry Potter, the Percy Jackson series, these fun adventure series. And I thought, hmm, I could do something like that with the oceans. So I wrote a fun sort of fiction adventure story that combines action, sea creatures, lots of sarcastic humor, which is probably my favorite part, and real world ocean issues, the villains, because you have to have a good villain in these adventure stories is doing and each book is doing something that is a real world ocean problem, whether it's polluting the ocean or shark finning or smuggling wildlife. you know there are real problems in the ocean, but i 'm introducing them through fun fiction so in fact here's you know I will tell you as a writer, and i 'm still not sure whether I consider myself a scientist or writer or both, but this morning I got. The most wonderful email from a woman. She prefaced it by just saying, "Best kids book ever about my book, the Shark with the Shark Whisper, which is the first book in the middle grade series." And you know, when you get that from a parent or from a kid, it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever had happen or done.
0: I love that because I have a nine-year-old going on ten, and we—I mean—we read a lot of books together, and I see how. Books shape his his creativity and his mind and his love for the outdoors and, and I can I can only imagine <laughs> having that feedback to have a complete stranger say thank you Ellen <laughs> right oh it's it's so rewarding
1: and I get the best notes from parents and from kids you know about I got one really funny note from a mother who said that her son got in trouble in class because. He was reading my book under his desk and then she said <laughs> and then he said but I don't care because he was reading.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and for me it's you know it's it's great because I wrote these books to be fun fast reads but at the same time not only are these kids learning or you know are we stimulating a love for reading? But they're learning about the ocean and the marine life and science. So there's sort of an added value learning to the books, which I really like as well.
0: I love that. I think that's really neat. So kind of shifting gears, maybe just a little bit, I'd love to know kind of some of the not so glamorous parts of being a marine scientist and and what you're doing.
1: Well, so, you know, there's like any job, there's things you might not like necessarily doing. You know, right now I'm sitting in at home looking at the computer thinking about, i working on a book and I'm kind of having that oh, little bit of writer's block where I'm going, oh, I know I can do this. But so there's there's insecurities like any job you do, but some of the less glamorous parts, well, you know, when you're, I've, I've been out doing research in the ocean and I've been stuck in the mud from my, almost my waist down and had, you know, like turkey vultures flying overhead and Shark circling your, <laughs> you know, I, I've been put in conditions that were physically challenging, um, whether it was cold or heat or not much sleep. So, it, you know, sometimes it sounds really glamorous and sexy to be a marine scientist, but there are a lot of, you know, difficult challenges to go along with it. And I think for me, I've always used humor as a way to get through some of that. When you're living underwater. Um, one of the things that happens is you're putting on every day when you get up in the morning you have breakfast in the undersea lab, and then you're going to go to work scuba diving, and so you have to put your wetsuit on. it. and It's cold, it's clammy, and because they don't dry out, and you're putting it on every day, oftentimes people get a rash. Or we like to call it the fungus among us. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> you know, there were definitely some less pleasant parts. Um, I've been tra- I've been caught in bad storms that were pretty scary and. But the overwhelming passion and joy that I get from whether it's being out in the ocean or studying the ocean or writing about it, that overshadows the hard parts. and And I guess I should say, I think one of the most more difficult parts has been the fact that i tra- I travel a lot or I've been places where I go far away for a long periods of time. And so you know it, it makes your social and family life much more difficult. and I, I would say for, people who study the ocean and do go out for a, a long period of time, that's probably one of the most difficult parts about it.
0: And does it get lonely? Is it, are you usually with people or are you often on your own?
1: It varies. Well, sometimes I'm on my own. Sometimes I'm with, with lots of people. Um, and I think it's different for everybody. I, I, I like being on my own, so that's not so much of a problem, but for some people, it could be very difficult in that sense. Um, and, you know, it goes back and forth between whether I'm traveling on my own or uh, I'm going to go out on a ship and I'm being with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I, I could see that.
1: But, and you also have to be able to get along with all sorts of different kinds of people. And like, I, for me, I, one of the reasons I've gotten into some of the the aspects that I have, the communications, I do a lot of public speaking and it's because I really like interacting with people. Some, some scientists prefer, you yeah. know, They don't have that, so maybe they want to spend their time in the lab. And so you find, you know, people find different ways of doing science or things related to science depending on what they prefer.
0: And and as part of your speaking, is that uh, around conservation? Talk to us a little bit about when you're asked to come and speak to a group. Is there like typically like a theme or?
1: Well, oftentimes people come and ask me to give talks about my books. And so it might be about the you know, my, my book about the diversity of life in the sea and that's actually I have a really funny talk and I sort of talk about these wacky creatures, but then also why they're important and how they're related to society. Or they might or it might be a school event or a big a teacher's event where I talk about um, my middle grade fiction, but I what I do is I talk about the different sea creatures and the ocean issues that I've integrated into the story. So a lot of a lot of those talks have been about putting real science, real locations into a fictional adventure. And so one of the things I love doing is showing images of the locations that I've used in books or of the animals that I've used in books and, and talking a little bit about them. And so again, it's, I may be talking about a fictional story, but it's, it's about real science. And then other times I get asked to give talks about other topics like it could be the Galapagos, it could be climate change, it could be um, oceans and security. It really varies.
0: And you've been able to work as a, an ambassador with Dawn, is that right?
1: It is. I'm so I was so excited when Dawn called. I've been I've been working as an ambassador for Dawn, a spokesperson this year, and one of the best things I got to do is I went out to two rescue organizations in California that Dawn supports the International Bird Rescue and the Marine Mammal Center. And both of those organizations work very closely with Dawn to rescue either birds or marine mammals. And, and I have so it was so great to talk to the veterinarians who work with the animals and they told me all about, it's not just that they use Dawn to clean oil birds, which they explained and show me why that is, because you need something that's strong enough to get the oil out on the very first wash, but gentle enough so it doesn't harm the animals. Because people sometimes say, well, why don't you use like an organic cleaner? But it won't work because they have to clean the animals so many times that it's even more stressful. But then they also, it was really interesting. They showed me that every container that holds the fish, they feed the birds or the marine mammals, everything they use is cleaned with Dawn. So I, in the fact that Dawn is a product is so important in rescuing animals, but also they've given something like $6 six million dollars to rescue marine and bird animal and birds is something that really is close to my heart
0: and and that they really stand behind what they believe that they really are about helping to save wildlife and I, I had a similar experience two years where I was able to go out to the marine mammal center as well and it's it's not just you know, some corporate company throwing money at a project. Like, they're, they're they're working. They are passionate about this. They want to help save wildlife. And, and it is so important to them. So I, I love that. Right.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I've been, I was really impressed by what they were doing. And actually, when I do a lot of my public talks, I'll give a little slide near the end about Dawn and rescuing Animals. And I think sometimes people see the commercials, but I don't really think they understand how committed the company is to wildlife rescue and why the product is what all the veterinarians choose, which I, it's, it's really, when you talk to the vets, it's really impactful because they say we won't use anything else.
0: Ellen is going to share three simple things that we can do to teach children about conservation when we return. As this school year has drawn to an end, I've definitely been thinking a lot about our summer and how few summers we really have left until our oldest is gonna go away to college. We've got about nine summers left. And I think one of the things that is really important for our family is to create memories together. And travel is definitely a part of that. One resource that we found is Scott's Cheap Flights, and this is a great way that you can get extremely discounted flights and go travel, go see the world. Don't wait until you're retired to go do those things that you really want to do on your bucket list. Do them now. Check out scottscheapflights.com forward slash goadventuremom to get discounts emailed to you, and they can also be texted to you. And save hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Definitely worth it. Check it out at scottscheapflights.com forward slash GoAdventureMom. We are back on the Go Adventure Mom podcast. Our guest today is Ellen Prager. We're talking about conservation. And Ellen is going to share three simple things that we can do to teach children about conservation.
1: So there are some very simple things that we can do to help the ocean and help marine life. One, which seems so simple, is dispose of your trash properly. Sometimes people think that all of the marine pollution, the plastics, and everything that's in the ocean comes from ships or from oil rigs. No, it's coming from the land. It's coming from trash that's in rivers that washes out the sea, that's on the shoreline or on the beaches. And so it's really important that we dispose of our trash properly and that we recycle as much as possible. I try and recycle as much as I can. I'm trying to reduce my plastic use. So if people can dispose of their trash properly, try and reduce their use of plastics and recycle wherever possible, that's one thing that can really help a lot. Another, of course, is just conserving energy and supporting policies that Um, reduce CO2 emissions. I mean, climate change, I'm doing some research on it for a book on climate change right now and it's pretty scary where we're headed. And so reducing your emissions of CO2, which comes back to energy use, reducing your energy use is really important. And again, I think another thing that seems simple but it's really effective is getting involved. And if you love the ocean, Get your kids involved and go to aquariums, go to nature centers, support organizations that do really good work. Like we were saying, like these marine mammal rescue center and teach not only your kids, but their friends, your friends and your parents or your friends about the ocean. We need to spread the word.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to second that. I've had the chance uh, a couple of times to go even as simply as into my son's school and speak to his class and there's you know 25 kids there that are interested and willing to learn and even though it's you know a, a smaller thing it's not like we're on TV or talking to thousands of people but those kids in that class like they definitely left with with a different attitude and i think as as parents that's something even though we don't think we're maybe the experts but we can still give some of our time and, and to do some research and even just to share the three simple things that you just presented to reduce our trash and to conserve and, and to get involved. I think that's, that's a, a message that's simple that we can all do something about.
1: And I would say there's two other things, certainly for parents. I mean, one is as a consumer and as, as a voter, you have power. And I think sometimes we forget that because you always think of as an individual, I can't do very much. But the truth is, you can, by what you purchase, you know, try and make smart choices on seafood. Uh, there are a lot of websites and organizations that can tell you what's sustainable and what's not, like Monterey Bay Aquarium or uh, Subpoena Center. Lots of great information out there. And also, I mean, we're in a very challenging time right now, and I think that as voters, we need to support whether you're leaders, whether you're talking about a national level or a local level, that recognize the importance of the environment and the oceans, and will try and invest and create policies that will help to save our planet.
0: Absolutely, I I think the more chance we have to bring people together and to recognize the things that we have in common and the things that we believe in, that we can all stand together and to stand up for those things and, and to not be alone.
1: And I think part of it is also recognizing our connections to the ocean and to the coast in terms of tourism and recreation. The, yeah, there's a huge economy built on that with regard to the oceans uh, that, you know, if, if the oceans became polluted or, Fish go away. That huge economic and even refugee consequences. So um, there, there's real reasons for people to be concerned and to be want to take action. And and I think it has to come from all walks of life. It can't be just scientists or just people who think of themselves as environmentalists. It has to be all of us.
0: Absolutely. And and our children, right? Like I, I think that
1: is the vision
0: to. Teach that next generation of children that they're a part of this and together we can we can make it better.
1: Right. And I think the whole idea of giving your children adventures in nature, actual experience in nature is probably the best way that parents can do it, because that will have more impact than probably anything else.
0: Oh, I hope so. Like that is, that is my mission and my goal and (laughs) everything that we've, you know, tried to build with Go Adventure Mom is, is just to encourage families to get outside and, and to create those memories together because I I think they are priceless and I think it shapes who, who they become. So I love that we share a, a similar paradigm and, and that we could chat today. Appreciate your, your time and your experience. And, uh, thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. And again, good luck. I support fully what you're doing and all your, your listeners. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk today.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. We love creating these podcast episodes and we really truly hope that it adds value to your day and that it brings some joy and a little bit of learning along your way as well. Make it a great week. See you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to the Go Adventure Mom podcast. For more family adventure, visit GoAdventureMom.com. Plus, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends.